listening to Real Talk on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Are you with Reality Check Radio with Real Talk with Rodney Hyde? Well, here's the thing, isn't it? Food, you go to the supermarket, uh, no eggs, uh, veggies looking in short supply. My God, then you fill up your, uh, your your shopping basket and go to the checkout and you just about got to take another mortgage on your house just to pay for your uh, groceries. More and more people are turning to gardening. Uh, but for many of us, sadly, it's a lost art. And so it's with my great pleasure that I uh, bring on Wally Richards, longtime gardener, helped a lot of people garden. Uh, he's got a business called Garden Enterprises. Uh, good morning, Wally. Yeah, good morning, Rodney. Now, you know a thing or two about gardening. Well, I started off at a very early age. I was about four years old when I started gardening. And um, over my time, I've had garden centres, garden shops. I've been a garden writer. Um, I weekly write an article that goes out to a lot of gardeners. And I've got a few books out there uh, oh. on gardening. Good for you. And tell me, if listeners are wanting to get your uh, updates and learn more that you've got to teach them, how do they get hold of all of that? Okay. Um, well, probably the easiest way is my 0800 number, which is 0800 466 464. They can call me on that. They could Google me, Wally Richards. I've got the first few pages on Google. If it, it's the same account as uh, I've got. And, um, yeah. And how do I subscribe to your uh, updates, your email? My, the email articles. Okay. Um, my email address is wallyjr at gardennews with one n dot co dot nz. Great. Now, we've got that. Tell me. Do you still love gardening? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, actually, my biggest pleasure nowadays is helping people um, with their gardening problems. Mm. But, um, yeah, I've got gardens there, um, grow a lot of veggies and stuff. You've um, never got sick of it? Um, no, no. Um, it's just a thing that I love growing stuff. Isn't that great? And has gardening changed over your life? Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, In what ways? Well, for instance, when I grew up, um, everybody had a quarter of acre section, right? Yes. And on those sections, we had um, good big gardens growing a lot of vegetables. You had chickens. Normally, most people had a few chickens in a chook house. And that was ideal because you could muck out the chook house, put that into the garden, and mm -hmm. everything would just grow beaut. Chook, chook manure is the best manure you can get. It's wow. got a, a lovely NPK rating, and it's never has any weed seeds in it, where if you take cow manure or um, any other horse manure, you're likely to bring in a lot of weed seeds, grass seeds, because they've been eating that stuff, and, yeah. of course, it passes through them where with chickens, they seem to be able to kill all the seeds and you end up with nice, good manure, seedless. And so you have this nice little ecological cycle on your own section. 
Yeah, 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 because the scraps go out to the chooks. Yeah. They give you eggs and you collect the manure, you grow the veggies, and then the surplus veggies or the cutoffs uh, go back to the chooks. Chooks love a lot of greens. So the big change that you've you've observed is a time when everyone had a garden to a time where almost no one does. Yeah, correct. Um, it's well, when we go back to my when I was a, a youngster, which is going back 70 odd years ago, of course, people have been through a hard time and depressions, etc. And as a result of that, they were more inclined to want to be self sufficient. Yes. And of course, in the um, house, You'd be preserving, making jams, chutneys, and and all that was done. And a lot of people back then, and there's a few today still, can proudly say everything on the table I grew out of my garden except for the meat. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. That's how I grew up. My mum and dad were great gardeners, and I don't know a thing about it. I'm just now trying to teach myself, and I, I kick myself because I never learnt off them, their gardening skill uh, or knowledge. Tell me, um, I guess, too, the supermarkets came along and fridges and no one thought twice about jumping in the car and heading to the supermarket for a weekly shop. And that must have changed it, too, just the convenience. Yeah, of course, lifestyles changed back, um, shall we say, 30, 40 years ago. People were... Uh, tending to travel, they were going skiing. Uh, yeah. There was a lot of that sort of thing happening. And it was only at times when things got a bit tight that they stayed at home and then the gardening flourished along with um, doing things around the house. So during yeah. hard times, like during the COVID, where people couldn't go anywhere, Okay, they stayed at home and they planted up their gardens with veggies, flowers, whatever. And likewise, um, they did a bit of painting and decorating mm. around the house. Mm. Uh, but as soon as things get um, more money available, of course, uh, here they're off skiing or doing something otherwise. Um, it's a pity, really. And And another big problem, of course, is that a lot of houses, are, uh, sections are small, houses are big, and there's not any room around except maybe a mm. little bit of lawn or if you go to an apartment, you might have a balcony. That, that's your only outside bit to mm. your house. Um, in England, of course, you had allotments, and we see in New Zealand there's a few community gardens which uh, the enthusiasts uh, get into and, and you know, uh, throw stuff for either themselves or to give away to other people less fortunate. The the problem, of course, as we see it now, the price of vegetables have escalated. If you're paying like $5 for a cabbage, where if not so long ago you'd be paying a dollar or so for a cabbage, and as the supermarkets are saying, well, we've got a problem because of the climate uh, with Pukekohe, uh, Hawke's Bay, a lot of the produce has been um, washed out, flooded yeah. and lost. And 
there's a there's a big problem too because this time of the year march is basically the last time of the year that you can plant some vegetables and have them available to eat in the winter time right mm. a lot of things it's all to do with daylight saving so when you've got long hours of daylight plants really grow yeah when you've got short hours of daylight like in the middle of winter um plants just sit there and they yeah. hardly grow at all yeah. right so it's so, cold and dark yeah it, it, well short daylight hours it's not so yes. much yeah long hours of darkness we've got 16 hours of darkness at mm. the worst eight hours of light as a result of that um what you've got to do for vegetables in the winter is get them in like in December, January, February, March is the last chance. If you start to get into April, May um, period too far, then they will only grow a little bit. They will sit still and sulk in the winter. And then in the spring, they'll just go to seed. It's oh. still, still not too late to grow some things like um, lettuce, like the... My favourite one is Drunken Woman. Um, it's one where you can harvest the outside leaves yep. and brassicas. Big leaf plants don't need so much sunlight. So okay. your cabbages, cauliflowers, etc., as opposed to, say, your carrots, which are a thin, fine leaf, they need a lot more sunlight okay. to develop. Okay. Now, um, I just got to tell you that I, I – Threw some lettuces seed in there, and a I got a bit of compost and seed mix. I mixed it up, and I occasionally threw a few lettuce seeds in, and I put in some tomato plants. And I'm shocked at how much lettuces I've got off it, how many tomatoes I've got, and actually how much money I'm I've saved. Right. Um, it's and I'm and I'm also shocked at how much I've enjoyed it. Because uh, there's something special about picking a lettuce out of your garden fresh that you grew, albeit I did nothing. I just put the seed in and gave it a bit of water and a tomato likewise. And then having it in your salad and telling your kids, oh, yeah, we grew that. Um, and so I'm into it. And I rushed out today and bought some uh, cabbages and cauliflower seeds to try and get them in before it hits winter. But um, so I'm a convert to you, Wally. I want you to walk me through what, and I'll ask you questions so that we gain the knowledge. I'm sure many of my listeners will be fantastic gardeners, but I'm sure as we go through, Wally will share some pearls of wisdom that will lift our game. But I want you to take it through for the complete novice. So I'm sitting there and I have a little bit of land um, and that I can grow things in might be lawn what should i do okay well if it's lawn which is a situation a lot of people have they could convert a lawn to a garden very easily now there's two basic ways to do it the old way would be dig up the lawn take off the turf etc stack that up somewhere and then dig the underneath put some food fertilizer etc in and start growing stuff a lot of hard work, but the easy way is you mow the lawn and scalp it in the area where you want to actually grow your uh, veggies. What right? scalp it mean? 
Scalping means you mow it very low. As so, low as you can. Yeah, as low as the mower allow. And it's called scalping because you're basically cutting a little bit of soil with the grass. So you Okay. All right. You do that in the area that you want to grow in, and then you go out and get yourself some cardboard. Now, cardboard is relatively easy from recycling places or from supermarkets, places, the big bins, just ask them, can we have some of that cardboard? They're happy to get rid of it, right? You lay the cardboard down on that area where, yeah. Now, the idea of this is you're going to suppress any grass or weeds underneath. Wow. The cardboard will stop them coming up and through, right? Besides that, the worms love cardboard and newspaper. You can use newspaper, but you've got to put a few thicknesses on. Then, once you've got your cardboard down, it's a good idea to wet it and not do it on a windy day. <laughs> or it'll be all over the place, especially with newspaper. So then you get yourself some nice compost from one of the garden centres. Like um, Bunnings or Mitre 10 or Irons. Bunnings, yep, yep, one of those. And it, have... Do you get cheap compost or, the, or more expensive stuff? What do you do? Well, compost varies uh, quite a bit from brands. The ones that I prefer myself is Odrin's has got a good compost, Dalton's compost. Yep. In, Bun- in Bunnings, you've got the value compost. Yeah, It's the cheapest one. Uh, you get a 40-litre bag, I think it is, for about $4.80 or something currently, yep. right? It's got a it's got mushroom compost in it rather than a lot of wood chips, which a lot of the compost these days basically um, wood chip. Is that better, the wood chip? Well, no. In the old days, we used to have a lot of peat moss in the compost, and that was very good to grow in. Um, But, of course, they can't harvest the peat moss anymore. Mm. Um, That's a greeny thing. So then mushroom compost, which is basically made out of animal manure and straw, uh, which has been used to grow mushrooms in, so that's the one that's five dollars or so at Bunnings, the cheap, yeah. the, the cheapest one at Bunnings, and mm. that's okay to use. That's very good to use. The problem was I'm some pleased of the, about that because I just bought four of them. Right. The problem with some of the composts is that they use green waste. Now, green waste can have herbicide in it, okay. and this is where what happens is people spray the lawn for weeds. They mow the lawn, they take the clippings to the um, recycling place, and it's full of herbicide for six months, right? That gets recycled into compost, and as a result of that, when you put it into your garden, things like roses, we've got um, beans, tomatoes, they go all funny because the small amount of herbicide distorts the new foliage, and if there's a lot of herbicide in it, stuff just won't grow. So the cheap one at Bunnings is good, and Dalton's is good compost. Yep, yep. Those. Where are does the, what is the Dalton's compost made from? Um, I think they use a lot of mushroom compost they, okay. from the mushroom farms, Yeah. Um, and they make a good job. And to the best of my knowledge, they don't use green waste. Okay, good. So tip. that's good, yep. And so okay. you get your compost, then what do you do? Okay, now you need a bit more food because those composts are good base, 
but they really need a kick along. So animal manures, any that you can get hold of. And quite often you drive around, particularly in more rural places, you'll see on the side of the road um, donkey poo or uh, horse poo, bags for a couple of dollars each. Good stuff, right? Um, some people go to stables and or go to uh, sheep um, shearing sheds and dig out the manure from underneath them, or you can buy. And to buy blood and bone and sheep manure pellets are mm. two good ones to go into your um, garden. So we've got the um, cardboard down. The next thing you put on top of that is maybe the lawn clippings that you've just mowed from. Yeah. So you put them on. And then you put your animal manures, your blood and bone, et cetera. And then you put your compost over. The oh, wow. Not the other way around. I would have thought to put the compost and then the fertilizer. The fertilizer's under the compost. Yeah. Yeah. Because the roots are going to go down into Got it. it. Got it. Uh, rather than, with, if you're going to use man made fertilizers like slow release fertilizer, et cetera, then you'd put that on top because yeah. then it'll, it'll wash down to the roots. Right. So you do that. You, How you, thick should your compost be? Um, well, I'm always in the old uh, measurements. Yeah, you're like you you you're like me. Tell couple me, of, couple of inches, 50, 50 millimeters. Yeah, fifty millimeters. It doesn't have to be very thick because the roots are going to go down through that, down through the um, wet, which is now starting to rot away, uh, the cardboard, and then down into the soil. And uh, how much chicken poo or horse manure or, or, or manure is under that compost? Um, if you're spreading it over, you're probably talking just a thin layer. It doesn't okay. have to be so very half great. an inch? Yeah, half an inch would be more than so adequate. 10 or 12 mil. And tell me, is there a thing, does the manure have to be old? No. It can be fresh? It can be quite fresh, yeah. Because yeah. I, I was told that it can burn plants. Well, I've found with lettuces, and I've got chickens myself, I just get fresh chook manure, put that in the base of the hole, and just put a little bit of soil over the top of it and plant the lettuce plant. It just goes wild. Great. Yeah. Okay, so, so I've done, I can do all that. I've wheelbarrowed it all in, and I've got my garden. Then what do I do? Okay, then you choose plants suitable for the time of the year. Now, at the moment, you've still got a good chance to plant some lettuces, some salad-type crops. Um, you can do it by seed or you can buy seedlings, right? Um, cabbages, brassicas, uh, any of the brassica family. Um, look for more of the big leafy plants. Okay. The real planting time of course, for all the veggies is in your spring with mm -hmm. your um, summer crops, such as tomatoes, capsicums, uh, cucumbers being planted, usually at the end of spring going into summer. In other words, Labor Weekend type of thing or, or shortly afterwards. So you've got to get into the cycles of the seasons when you're a gardener. Ideally, yeah, because things will do better in cycles. For instance, the old adage that you plant your garlic on the shortest day, harvest it on the longest day. It right. still applies 
um, <laughs> has been the best time to do it. Now, so I'm listening to the show. I'm taking notes. I've done my compost. That's probably a, a, a good day's work or two easy days' work. I head off to the garden store and I buy my seeds, right? right. So I buy the leafy things. You're saying cabbages, cauliflowers, uh, onions. Could I buy onions? Yeah, well, I've planted all those things either by seed or seedlings. Um, okay. Seedlings gives you an advantage that the plant is already um, reasonably established, right? Yeah. So you don't have to germinate it. Um, yeah. It takes probably from germination to getting it up to a seedling big enough to handle, you're talking probably a month or so. So you gain now, a month. Yeah. Yeah. So you're gaining time mm -hmm. by buying seedlings. Okay. Um, now, here's a very important thing. When you go to your garden centre and you see seedlings, don't look for the great big ones in veggie plants. Look for the more smaller ones. A mm. problem arises that when the plants have got bigger, they use a lot of water because of the, in a small uh, confined punnet or a cell pack. And unless they're watered fairly regularly, they get stressed and they droop. Then they get a drink and they stand up again, right? But once the plant's been in stress, like cabbages, they will grow to a certain extent and then just go to seed. We call it they bolt. Ah. Right? So bigger plants, which are, look good, and you think, oh, that's a good one. It'll give me a good start. Likelihood, they'll never reach maturity. They'll go to seed because they've been stressed out too long um, because they've got too big. And they hunt it. Got it. For those that are just tuning in, you're with Reality Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. And we're talking gardening with uh, Wally Richards from Garden Enterprises, uh, a lifetime of garden and a long life of gardening. Uh, and he's just teaching us about how to get your garden up from lawn uh, and when to be planting and what to be planting. Uh, so keep listening. Now, Wally. Let's say I've got my seeds or seedlings. What then do I do with them? Okay. If, if it's seeds, for instance, um, we'll take brassicas. In actual fact, it is far better to grow something from seed than it is to buy a seedling. You've got the advantage of a bit of time. But from my own personal experience, uh, with corn, for instance, I've bought corn plants and I've planted seeds the seeds beat them every time. Wow. Right. Despite that month, that month ahead. Well, no. What happens is because the seedlings you buy of the whatever plant it is, like corn, they get root disturbance when you transplant them. Yeah. Right. So that kind of knocks them back a little bit. They have to reestablish. If you plant a seed, when that seed germinates, it sends its roots out immediately with no encumbrance. There's nothing to stop them. They go down and out, right? So mm -hmm. it develops a very strong root system. If it's in a cell pack or punnet, of course, it can't go very far because it's stopped by the plastic. Mm. 
So as a result of that, it actually um, doesn't, it takes a while for it to kind of reroute itself and get going. Now, one of the ways you can overcome that, if it's got a dense root system, you can just, with a pair of scissors, cut the roots off, taking about a quarter of an inch or half an inch off the base roots. Now, when you do that, the cut roots will then create quickly new roots. Wow. Right? It's like, for instance, if you're pruning a tree, say um, whatever, it could be a lemon tree. If you cut the end of a branch off, then a lot of branches will develop along that branch. Yep. If you want to um, really control the tree, you cut the branch back from where it comes, from the trunk. So it can't generate a lot of new branches, right? Yep. And it keeps the tree nice and open. Same yep. thing applies with the root. As above, so below. So with our pruning the roots, now a mistake a lot of people make is they'll buy a shrub in a um, plastic bag or in a pot, and when they pull it out, they'll see that the roots are all tangled around the base, right? So what they tend to do is try and tease them out. It doesn't work. You actually get your secateurs and you cut through the ring in four places, cutting into the roots so those roots will generate and make new roots, and then it's away. Does that apply to all plants? or yep. uh, Wow. So any, any plant in a pot that you've got, if it's what they call root-bound, rather than tease it out, you're better to cut the sides back and get a fresh growth. Yep, that's the way to go. Wow. Sure. Oh, that's something. I've learned so much already. Wally. I, <laughs> I should be here busily taking notes. Tell me. So I'm still struggling with this idea because I spent, in preparation for this, I cleared up a bit of dirt. I went into Bunnings and got some seeds. They didn't have any onions. Seems seeds are in short supply. I went they over are. to Mitre 10 and I managed to get some onions. And I was going to do like I saw my dad and dig that dirt and mix in some manure and then rake it and then plant my seeds. But the digging's going to take me a day. What you're suggesting that I could do to speed everything up, because winter's approaching fast, is just lay the cardboard down, put the man a little manure on, and put compost in Bob's your uncle. Yep, yep, yep. And now that could be done on an existing veggie garden. Yeah. Or it could be done on your lawn. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Hey, that's yeah. a huge, that's, that's, um, saved me a good hard day's work Wally so when I come to plant my seeds in this or seedlings in this compost which underneath has the manure and underneath has the wet cardboard how do I plant the seeds the seed well the seed should be spaced out ideally now yeah. seeds of brassica and so forth cabbages um, it's a little wee ball. It's quite easy to handle. And remember that they need just about a foot apart. Okay. So ideally, you put two seeds together and each one a foot apart. Why do you so put two three, seeds? 300 millimetres for 
right. young people listening. Right. Okay. <laughs> why, why put two seeds? Oh, well, two seeds each spot. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Now you're hedging your bets here because they both both might germinate, but maybe only one germinates. So if you have a miss, you've got a gap, right? If you've got two seeds, you've got a, a reasonable chance that they both will germinate and one will be stronger looking and bigger than the other. Got it. Right? So once they're both up, then you just carefully, with a pair of scissors, nip the smaller one off at the base. Got it. And the other one then will take off. Mm. And when you do the seeds, you need to put them in a straight line. Not necessarily. Nature has not got any straight lines that I'm aware of. (laughs) So you would just, how deep you put them? You make a wee groove or just push them in with your finger? They just need to be covered, right? So just push them in with your finger every uh, every foot. Mm, yeah. Um, or, yeah, just very lightly and then water. Sprinkle okay. with a hose um, and, and that will wash them down. It will get them started. If you want to speed up the germination, my company actually has a product called Magic Botanic Liquid, right? Yeah. Now, that's humate and fulvic acid. It's derived from lignate, so in a sense, it's like prehistoric compost tea because it comes from way back when the earth was young. So it's very mineral-rich, and it's a product that really makes plants grow, right? Okay. So if you lay your seeds out as you want to, and then you've got in your sprayer some of the MBL, you just go miss, 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 dampening the seeds, then you cover them over, right? Now, it will speed up the germination by quite a reasonable degree because it kind of breaks the um, germ to get the embryo going, right? I had one guy one time, he said, this stuff is so great. He said, I sprayed some pumpkin seeds, the next day they were up. <laughs> and he climbed all the way up and saw the what was it the the giant at the top of the beanstalk. That's uh, um, how do I work out how much water I need? Um, when you grow in an open ground, except during dry times, there's a lot of moisture coming up from underneath, right? Yep. So a light sprinkling every now and again is, is good value. Keeping, like, if you hand hand hose using a wand or whatever, um, you can judge how much water you're putting out. You don't want to get it too wet because that's not good, and you don't want it bone dry. You just want a bit of moisture there. So it's if it's damp on the surface, that's perfect. Yeah, you don't want it waterlogged, and you don't want the surface dry. Mm. And, and of course, with, with the compost, you get a good sense because the water will go in pretty quick, right? It's not sitting on the surface like it would maybe clay dirt. Surely, yeah. It's it's better to water a little often rather yeah. than a lot once. So the irrigation systems, sprinklers, uh, etc., can be bad news because you're just going to flood an area 
You're yeah. washing away your nutrients. Yeah. So all that food that you put in there is being leached out, and that's not good. Um, and yeah. What was the name? What was the name of your product that I should use, Wally? Magic Botanic Liquid. Magic. Okay. Now I put that on. Now while my brassicas, so I'm planting them now, which is late autumn. Um, what happens then? When do okay. I when do I get my cabbage? It depends on variety. Some are quick maturing, and if you're looking for the ones that's fastest to mature are the mini cabbages, the mini collies, right? Okay. Because they may take, say, 60 days from seed to maturity, um, where you can get some varieties that can take nine months. Wow. Yeah. Long term. So um, in two months' time, having put down the cardboard, I could be chomping my way through a free cabbage. Yeah, and on the mini cabbages, you could be looking at them ready to use, right? Um, now, on, sorry. would I need, once I've done your magic, I have to get it right, magic botanic compound? Liquid. Liquid, magic botanic liquid. Do I need to apply more fertilizer while they're growing? No, but it's a very good idea to spray the seedlings and the plants with that MBL, Magic Botanic Liquid, on a regular basis. Yeah. Made up in a sprayer, it won't um, go off because it's already a few million years old. (laughs) So it keeps quite well for a bit longer. And that will double the size of your plants in half the time. Wow. And what is it exactly? What is that? I mean, what is it giving the plant? Is it giving it minerals? Is it giving it nutrients? What is it giving it? Yeah, it's giving it a big range of minerals from um, prehistoric times. So you've got all those elements there. Um, The plant photosynthesizes better. Mm. And and that's important because plants gain their energy from the sunlight by photosynthesizing, creating carbohydrates. And that's the energy uh, which they grow on hence the reason why long daylight hours um stuff grows really fast and really good short daylight hours they've only got that small time frame of sunlight and then it's gone again so they can only grow well during that sunlight time hence your veggie garden ideally too should be in sunlight most of the day if possible Got it. Now, um, if I plant a packet of seeds of cabbages or cauliflower, am I going to be embarrassed that all my cabbages are ready to eat and I can't eat 100 cabbages in a week? How do no. I cope? Okay. There's two things, what we call open pollinate and hybrid, right? Now, Open pollinate means that the seeds were randomly fertilised, right, and produced. That means everyone is different. When things are um, done like hybrid, they will all mature at the same time. So if you're a commercial grower and you want to plant a couple of acres of cabbages, ideally you want every one of those to mature on the same day. 
Yes. And, and they that's what they've got. They've, they've got seeds down to that for an area, for that climate, for those soil conditions. Amazing. That they will all harvest on, on that day or within a day or two. They'll be mature, right? Home gardener, of course, doesn't want that because what's the point of having 12 cabbages ready on that one day? So ideally, you have open pollinate, which are cheaper seeds, and you grow them, and as a result of that, they'll be staggered. And so you'll get some weeks of cabbages. Yeah, you'll they'll mature over a period of a month or so. Wow. And uh, we're you're with Reality Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde, and we're talking to Wally Richards from uh, Garden Enterprises. We're talking gardening, and, man, there's been tips just flowing here all day. It's astonishing. Uh, I hope – I'm sure this isn't obvious even to the good gardeners, but to me it's like a revelation. So thank you, Wally. Now, um, I can understand that now. So it's not like I got a hundred cabbages that I have to eat that week. I got a hundred cabbages that I can eat over a couple of months. Mm. Now here's another little tip. You you might buy a punnet, which has got maybe twenty cabbages in, right? Seedlings. Yeah. Now you don't want to plant twenty cabbages out in one go because you're only going to use um, over a period of a couple of weeks or so maybe three or four cabbages. Yes. Right? So instead of planting the whole lot out, you plant out the ones you want to be ready first, and then you put the all the rest together in a clump into the soil. Right? Yeah. In a clump into the yeah. soil. So they're yeah. all there. Now, yeah. they'll grow a little bit, but they won't grow much because there's too many of them. Go how. Then say two or three weeks later, you wet them down, give it a good soaking, lift them, separate out a few more that you want to plant out and plant them out and put the rest of the clump back in the ground. My goodness. Yeah. It's so that's up. like um, you're going to the supermarket really three or four months ahead of time. That's all it is. You're just thinking a little bit ahead. And you're saying, uh, I'm going to stagger out my cabbages um, like this. That's not a lot of work, Wally, is it? No, no, it's, it's simple and easy to do, five-minute job. Yeah. I, and I mean, a, yeah. with the seeds, presumably the seeds, because they're open, not pollinate. Have I got that around the right way? Open pollinate, yep. Yeah, they are going to, they are going to stagger themselves. Mm. Yes, now, there's another thing, too. You get your packet of seed and you're going to plant out, say, a dozen or whatever, right? But in the packet, there's a lot more seeds than that, right? So yeah. what do you do with them? Yeah. I don't know. Okay. you. you I would have I, planted – no, I'm sorry. Me being me, I would have planted all of them. Is that not right? <laughs> If you wanted them all to come, <laughs> yep, yep. You're going to supply the neighbours and the people down the road. And so I always forth. think if one cabbage is good, a hundred's better. But yeah, I, I, I put out, I put a dozen seeds in, or two dozen seeds in, thinking, oh well, that'll be a good feed for three or four weeks. I've got three quarters. Oh, I've got a lot more in the packet, and I don't know what do I do with them, will it, Wally? Okay, the best way to keep seeds is you just fold the packet over. 
put them inside a glass jar with a steel lid and put them in the fridge. My goodness. Right. Now, in a glass jar, not a plastic jar, because plastic breathes, they will sit there in the nice cold fridge, not the freezer, the fridge, right? And when you take them out, they think they're coming out of winter and they really germinate well because suddenly it's spring, summer. Now, I've kept seed of tomatoes for over 25 years and still got a reasonable germination out of them. And so could you put more than one packet of seeds in that jar? Or oh, yeah. They... It so depends you could... on the size of your yeah, jar. Like yeah. they don't upset each other is what I mean. They, 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 you, so you, put, you could put all your packets. That you, you do a planting now. You could put your seeds in a glass jar in your fridge and keep them for a year. Yeah, two years, three years, five years. My goodness, I did not yeah. know that. So and they will would, keep well. And and so you really just want to plant now how much you'd be wanting. I'm guessing these cabbages and brassicas are going to, when will they be ready to eat? I know there's a variation there, but just the ordinary ones, when would they be ready to eat if you planted them now? 90 days? 90 to 120 days. Okay. Uh, thereabouts. And would I, given it's we're coming into winter, would I wait a month and plant some more seeds or would I just say, no, nah, it's winter now, it's done? Yeah, well, it depends on whether you've got um, plenty of area to plant in. Like if you're handicapped, you've only got a small area, yeah. well, there's no point. If you've yeah. got plenty of room, um, there's no harm in planting because even if you don't use them, you can just um compost them back in yes so they become like a green crop yes. which we um grow various crops in the winter time which we dig in like lupins and stuff yeah lupins and stuff we dig them in um in the spring when we start to replant again fascinating now that gets me veggies coming in in three or four months time then when do I start planting again? And your next time of planting, it depends. Like shortest day is when you're looking to plant shallots and garlic. And then any time after that, your daylight hours are extending. Because they're extending, the plants are getting more sunlight every day. And as a result of that, you can really start to grow. Wow. But of course, you, you you have another problem, frost. So it's got to be hardy plants that are not frost tender. Okay. Like you're not going to plant out your tomato plants in the open and have them frosted. Yes. Right? You can plant some things early, like potatoes. So with potatoes, if you want to plant them early, you dig a, a big deep ditch about one to two spade depths, right? Yep. So you've got this trench that you're going to put your seed potatoes in that have already got sprouts on them, right? And then you just cover them with a bit of soil. Just cover them, right? When they poke their heads through and so forth, then you put some more soil over them. 
that soil will protect them against frost. Got it. It also does another thing. It stretches the hole. That's the shoot that comes up. Yes. Now, in stretching that, that means the longer it is, it will create new potatoes all the way up. Mm. Okay. Now, if the actual um, leaves get too high above the ground, and I'm talking about three, oh, yeah, about two or three inches, then that whole thing and more potatoes won't work. It's gone too far. You've got to keep on covering basically as soon as they appear through the, the soil. Got it. Also, sure. the frost is protected then. I'm uh, you with Reality Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde, and we've got the the wonderful Wally uh, with us, uh, gardening Wally, not Wee's Wally. And this is just sitting here, just being inundated with a lifetime, a long lifetimes of experience with gardening. Tell me, Wally, when my potatoes come ready, do I harvest them all at once or do I just harvest them as I need? Or what do I do with potatoes? Okay. Now, with potatoes and tomatoes, we have a new problem in New Zealand, which developed about four or five years ago, a little pest called the psyllid. And it's called tomato psyllid, potato psyllid, and so forth. Now, the psyllid is an insect which feeds on the plants, its host plants, which are those two, and tamarillos and a few others. And when they feed, they inject a toxin into the plant. So with potatoes, it's an easy one to describe. If you plant them late and the psyllids attack them, the tubers underneath will not get any bigger than about the size of a pea and they'll be reshooting because the toxin that they've injected in has ruined them to grow. If the plants have got reasonably well established and the tubers are formed a good size underneath, then they'll have dark rings in them and they'll be useless. That's a solid problem, right? If you're planting very early and you're getting your crop up to maturity, and as some gardeners found, they dug the first couple plants, beautiful potatoes, not a problem. They left them in the ground with the tops on and then the solid attack, next time that they dug some up, they had the black rings. My goodness. Yeah. So if you're going to leave them in the ground and you have a solid problem, or we're not sure whether you have or not, you cut the tops off and then you cover the stubble. That means the potatoes are safe in the ground. They can sit there. And as long as you don't leave them for too many months, because they'll reshoot eventually, um, the solids can't get to them. Oh, oh, how wonderful. And that's a good way of keeping them young and fresh, right, the potato? Mm, they'll stay good in the, in the ground like that, yes. And if you dug them up and kept them in your pantry, they'd age? They'll age and they'll start to shoot. Got it. Um, it's temperature change that actually gets them going. So coming out Excuse of me. a cold environment, for, for instance, seed potatoes that we buy, are actually grown, a lot of them down the Southland, uh, down the bottom of the Southland, uh, which are the good ones, or Pukekohe, right? They put them into big chillers and keep them in a cool, colder 
situation, right? When they come out of that, they will sprout. So when you take your potatoes from the supermarket, which have probably been in a chiller, and then you take them home in the nice warm kitchen, after a few weeks of sprouting. Goodness me. How interesting. So um, if I sign up to your mailing list by emailing you, Wally, I'd be being told by you what to plant when. Yeah, I do. I look at the seasonal aspect of it, um, problems that are happening uh, at that time of the year. Like at the moment, the big problem is grass grow in the lawns, right? And they're now, at this time of the year, since we've had the autumn rains, um, are near the surface, and they can be treated at this time of the year. Okay. Um, they're eating the roots of the grasses. If they're not treated, of course, later on, um, that grass will actually Great. just have no roots and die. So, Wally, tell us again how listeners get on your email list. They drop you a line or they give you a ring. And your email is? Wally, J-R, W-A-L-L-Y-J-R, at Garden News, which is G-A-R-D-E-N-E-W-S. So it's only got one N in Garden News. I and had to tell you. When, co- I, NZ. when I emailed you last night, that only one N fooled me. Yeah, yeah, it's an old thing. <laughs> I, I was on the internet in fact, my website, which is um, gardennews.co.nz, is the oldest website in New Zealand outside of the universities. No. Yeah. And I had, I had the first, well, one of the very early websites, the only gardening website, and I was putting my articles on that. I actually were promoting New Zealand seeds of native plants. And all my customers were from America. And I had Lloyds of London, uh, what's the name? Uh, No, the gardens in um, London. They also contacted me and they bought um, native seeds through my website. And by native seeds, what, tussocks or trees or? Yeah, all all the things, kofi, whatever. Um, And... and There was a company, I'm not sure whether it still exists, because this is going back a few years now, um, but they had seed collectors going out from different places in New Zealand, and they would harvest the ripe seeds, and they would give the location, uh, as well as the name of the seed, of course. Um, So they were originals from that particular area. Mm. And, yeah, you, you could select what... Not only whether you're going to have co-fi seeds, but you could select where they came from, Northland, Southland, wherever. My goodness. And tell me, Wally, your web page is still up and running? Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so I can get your email, I can get your web page, and I can ring you if I'm desperate on 0800. 466-464. And you take a person's call? Yep. Yep. Oh, sometimes if I'm on the phone, uh, my partner or somebody else will take the call. But generally speaking, I take all the calls. Goodness me, what a man you are. And uh, does it vary, like when you're giving out your advice and your email and on your web page, do you have to make allowances for the different parts of New Zealand? I'm thinking of those down in the deep south versus those in Northland. Yes, and it's very difficult to write 
um, for a time of the year because you have some interesting situations. You can have a microclimate in your area. Like mm-hmm. there might be trees around your house, which condenses uh, the heat and stops the wind. Yet down the road, 100 yards, um, 100 metres, they can grow what you could grow in your place. So little microclimates could... everywhere. Yeah, yeah. So um, you've got you've to gotta learn specifically about your place. Yes, yeah. And, and that's experience over a period of time. Mm. Some people keep diaries when they did something or rather, when they planted it, when it harvested, what the weather was like in the meantime. Um, and that gives them a good indication when they reflect back on the previous years, how it went for them at mm. that time. But even a complete novice can take a bit of lawn and a day have uh, veggies planted and be literally saving themselves hundreds of dollars. Sure, yeah. And I'll tell you how easy it is. When you throw stuff out, if you've got a compost heap, right, and you're throwing out the seeds of pumpkins or tomatoes or whatever, they just grow by themselves. Yeah. As soon as the climate is right, the temperature is good, there's moisture, they will just sprout and grow. No trouble. No help from you. So we can all do that, ladies and gentlemen. I'm very excited, but I'm I'm so pleased that I don't have to do two days digging. Tell me, Wally, what about glass houses? Are they a good thing? Yes. The advantage of a glass house is you've got a controlled environment. In other words, it's not buffered by wind. Um, Unfortunately, the plants don't get rained on because rain is an advantage uh, in so much as it's bringing nitrogen down from the sky. Mm -hmm. So that you'll see after a shower rain, um, things all come to life a bit, right? It's a nitrogen boost they get. Okay. But, of course, in a glass house, you've got a more controlled temperature, so uh, it stays warmer or it's, it's hotter longer, right? Uh, and also, of course, you haven't got the wind factor to chill things down or to buffer things around. So... For growing definitely in the wintertime, um, where you can use your glasshouse to grow the likes of lettuces and so forth, brassicas, quite happily, because they will do better even with the short da- shorter daylight hours, because they're not hampered by the frost and the cold and so forth. So with a glasshouse, could you grow lettuces all year round? Yep. No trouble. Wow. Well, that would make a big difference too, wouldn't it? Oh, um, yeah. But of course, and what's the best way cheaply to get a glass house? Is it to buy one off the shelf, to make one? What would you recommend? I've what done people on a tight budget and they want to get veggies all year round. How do they do it? Well, one of the aspects I've come across quite often is people, um, particularly elderly people who have had a glass house and no longer use it, right? And it's um, something that they would like to get rid of, mm-hmm. enough free. So you've got things such as uh, neighbourly, mm-hmm. and you put a little message in there, anybody got an old glass house they don't want? Great. And there's a reasonable chance um, that somebody will come out of the woodwork and say, oh, yeah, 
So you go down, you take the glass out, take the frame apart. Um, I've been given um, a plastic house, which yeah. all I had to do was get a new uh, what's name of plastic and put on because the old plastic had had it. Um, but the guy didn't want it. Uh, he wasn't using it. And he said, here, take it. Great. Uh, one time there was a lady um, contacted me from a farm and she had a big conservatory, a big Eden conservatory on that side of the house. She said, I don't want it. Will you take it away? Yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> and um, is it hard growing in a glass house? I'm thinking of um, keeping the temperature right because you've got to open and let the air through, presumably on a hot day in summer. And then uh, you've probably got a more intense problem with pests. Is it much harder to, to have a glass house and just planting out in the garden to the seasons? Probably the most difficult part is your watering. Okay. In the winter, you've got to keep it a little bit on the dry side, and in the summer, you need lots of water, okay. right? Because uh, the plants are in a higher temperature. They're using a lot of water during the day, uh, transpiring it out through the leaves. And as a result of that, um, like with your tomatoes, for instance, in a glass house, you've got to try and keep that growing medium, whether it's the soil or in containers, moist. Otherwise, you end up with what we call blossom end rot, and that's the black patch that's underneath the base of the tomato, which you see when it's green and when it ripens, it's, it's there, right? You could use the rest of the tomato, but um, it looks not so nice, right? Now, the reason that's happened is because when the plant um, flower was um, setting, in other words, it pollinated and setting, there was not enough moisture to move the calcium across the set, and you end up with blossom end rot. Got it. Right. Uh, I've got a book, the only book in New Zealand for glasshouse gardening for New Zealand. Oh, and what's the book called? It's called Wally's Glasshouse Gardening. <laughs> yeah. And how does, how does someone buy that book? Can they get, contact you and get the book? Yes, they can. Uh, there is the odd bookshop that stocks it, the odd garden centre. But you can, you can send them a copy if they send you yeah. the money. It's how much is your $20. Oh, well, put me down for one. I'm going to send you a note. Now, tell me, um, you're with Reality Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Um, Wally, you're a very gifted communicator. Where did you learn to write? I read some of your articles, and they're beautifully and clearly written. Uh, you are very good on your feet. Uh, with words is that just a gift that you have or is it just years of practice where did that come from actually interesting with the writing bit because many years ago in palmas north i had a little plant shop in a place called square edge which was the old council building which was only a hop skip and jump down from the manitou evening standard right and in the plant shop i used to have a lot of you know, elderly people come in and buy their bits and pieces and so forth. And the editor of the community paper came down and saw me one day and said, um, how about writing a gardening article for our Sunday paper? 
And I said, I'm not a writer, my God, you know. He said, the problem we've got is we've got this guy from Massey who writes about trees, which nobody can even understand what he's writing about, <laughs> right? And I said, well, my forte really is houseplants. So if you don't mind, I'll start off and I'll do houseplants. And so I started writing and I was, back, back then I would have been about 30 years old, yeah, roughly. Um, maybe 25 to 30, somewhere in that time frame, which is 50-odd years ago. Um, I started writing it on a regular basis for the paper, then later on computer came along and then we could email it in rather than taking handwritten notes in. And there was a chap called Nick Scott. He was a garden writer and he had a syndicated column throughout New Zealand going to quite a few of the big daily papers like the Christchurch Press, uh, Invercargill, New Plymouth, Hawke's Bay, uh, Manitou Standard, of course, published his syndicated column. When he came up to retiring, uh, he said to me, would you like my um, syndicated column to write for that? And, and he was getting paid for it, my goodness. It was, it was only about $10,000 a year, but yeah. it was a nice, nice income. Yeah. So I said, yeah, and, and that's what he wanted. He wanted 10,000, one year's, what's the name, for it. And I had, at that time, somewhere around about towards half a million readers. My I goodness. Published in all these papers, right, and writing about, yeah, what was happening at the time and gardening, et cetera. But things changed with the papers uh, in so much as, um, they decided that us sideways writers, um, they didn't want, they'd all be done from head office, and so they employed people who knew nothing about gardening to write the gardening column, and which you see currently, I shudder sometimes at some of the things that they say. Um, but uh, And you so you just learned to write by writing? Yeah, yeah. Actually, I went to night school after that and got school cert English. <laughs> <laughs> and you could write you well you you are a very, very gifted communicator. You're a very good writer. Um tell us again how people get a hold of you to get on your mailing list and to see your webpage. It's 0800 464 And your email is Wally Jr. Wally J R at Garden News with one N dot co dot NZ. The, and, the, the JR is not junior, actually. Ah, my initials, Wally, Johnny, Richards. Ah, Richards. I see. I got it. Yeah. I was thinking you're a Wally Junior. And um, I don't, I, I, you can see why I made that mistake. Wally, what about um, people growing some veggies in an apartment and on a balcony? Is that possible? Yeah, 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 for sure. In containers, um, using compost preferably rather than potting mix yes. because the compost will have a bit more gut in it um, and also adding some more stuff to it. The key to it is um, having them there where they're getting reasonable sunlight. So if it's a north-facing balcony, it's magic. If it's a south-facing ba ba balcony, you're going to be struggling a bit because you're not going to get direct sunlight. Yeah. It's, it's all reflected. Actually, it's more difficult 
to grow house plants successfully than it is to grow stuff in the garden. Is that right? Yep, yep. Because it, house plants are in a container and they're not in direct light. They're inside the house. There's no overhead light coming down on them as they would be outside. The light is coming sideways through a window or glass door, right? So this is why if you germinate seedlings on a windowsill, they will stretch and, and towards the glass all the time because that's where mm. the light's coming from. Mm. And inside the house, um, once you get away from a metre away from a window, your light, in actual fact, level drops severely. Mm. It, you don't notice it with your eyesight, but if you had a light meter, you would see, yeah, it's a mm. big difference. So house plants, particularly small leaf plants like maidenhair ferns, need to be there getting good bright light. Big plants like uh, rubber trees, philodendrons with the big leaves, big leaves, they don't need so much light because they've got a bigger surface yeah. to catch what light is. Yeah. So what you're saying is anyone that's at home with a maidenhair fern successfully growing, gardening outside is going to be easy for them. Piece of cake. And your forte is actually plants inside, garden plants, uh, um, not garden plants, uh, pot house plants, plants. Inside, house plants. Yeah. yeah, well, it was. My partner now has got all the house plants. It's places chocker. <laughs> actually, an interesting thing, during COVID, people – started going crazy with houseplants again. Now, years ago, we used to have, like, uh, African violets, uh, maidenhair ferns. They were the two in plants, and everybody was growing, well, most people were growing those, particularly older people. Um, and then it faded. It, it just disappeared. People were not growing, of any consequence, indoor plants. COVID came along, and they went ballistic. Suddenly, there's nurseries of producing all these new varieties I've got from overseas and so forth, and um, and everybody wanted to bring the outdoors in. Well, Wally, one of the things that we're working towards with Reality Check Radio is we're sort of every every week we are taking it to another level, and we're wanting to get. Um, audience participation and talk back and texting and, and all of that in. Um would you be prepared to help us out and uh, we maybe have a like a gardening show or something and uh uh people could ring you up or text you with their gardening problems and you could be telling them what to do. Would that be a wonderful thing? Yeah, yeah. Um I don't use a cell phone myself, so I, I no point in texting me. Okay. No, no, but if we set, you know, like like you're doing now, you could be doing a show at home and people could be texting you through Zoom or something like that. We'd set it all up and you could actually be taking people's queries and answering them live on the air. You could be doing that, couldn't you? It'd be a wonderful show. That's right, yeah. because one of your people contacted me earlier today and suggested the same thing. Right. That, um, people could email into you or whatever uh, their queries. Um, yeah, well, you've got a wealth wealth of understanding. And I, I, one thing that our audience is very keen on is sort of being a lot more resilient um, and being able to manage because 
you know, we're looking at the world and we looked at that those lockdowns and we didn't like feeling vulnerable. No. And I know for myself, I look around the house, I look around what I need for food, I look around what I need to cook, and I, and I like the ability to, and those floods and the earthquakes um, that we've had, um, you look at it and you think, you know, how, how would I manage um, and, and not have to rely on transportation systems, going to the supermarket, all the rest of it. And I think gardening is and chickens is a good start, right? Mm, for sure. Yep, yep. Okay. Well, you're with uh, Reality Check Radio. We'll talk with Rodney Hyde. We've just had the most wonderful time uh, with Wally Richards. You're amazing. You're a great fund of knowledge. Um, thank you, Wally, for coming on our show. And I look forward to talking to you again soon. Yes, my pleasure. Well, you've been listening to Real Talk Radio with uh, uh, Reality Check Radio, get it right, with Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Uh, that was wonderful. We've had a gardening show for the first time ever. Stay tuned. Keep listening. Uh, and we're loving your feedback. And we had a great time with uh, Wally. Uh, do give him a call. Do give him an email. Uh, I'll put his email in the notes uh, below the show. So for those that didn't have a pencil and paper, you'll be able to grab it and you'll be able to go to his website and check him out. I certainly are going on to his email and uh, he's saved me days of work already. So uh, a man well worth listening to. Thank you very much for listening. You're listening to Real Talk on RCR Reality Check Radio. People are struggling to have conversations and connect with others that they don't completely agree with on every topic. And I think that's probably the biggest problem that we need to try and solve is how after all this division and after all the separation, do we end up bringing people together again? And what does unity really look like? New Zealand faces some pretty big issues. First one is COVID in the aftermath. There's no getting away from that. Second is racial division. It's been ginned up and it's dangerous. Another issue that maybe people haven't got their head around yet is digital currency. What form does that take? Is it programmable? Will it be used to manipulate behavior and patterns of behavior? Those questions need to be asked and answered. How can you have fair, open, democratic government by people who are appointed? It's a ridiculous idea. And if that idea is taken to its zenith, then this country is in real trouble because democracy, one person, one vote, where every vote is of equal value, has got to be the foundation of a modern New Zealand. What's true, what's not true, how our kids are to be educated. And, you know, I have a great fear for the future. I think we know from history where this could end up.